Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles and turn, if you would please, to Luke chapter 15 as we continue our study in Luke's Gospel. Today we begin a three-week study on Luke 15, the rest of Luke 15, entitled The Pursuit. Today we're looking at the pursuit of pleasure, the younger, selfish son. In chapter 14 of Luke, Jesus details the cost of discipleship. Remember, it was an uncompromising commitment that Jesus calls from each and every one of his followers, those who profess Christ, those who would call themselves disciples of Christ. And he's going to contrast that with God's requirement for believers with the comfort and encouragement he offers to sinners. So there's this call for an uncompromising commitment. But on the other hand, he's giving comfort and encouragement to those who do not profess Christ, those who are not yet followers, not yet disciples. In Luke chapter 15, we're just going to review verses 1 through 10, 1 through 2 very quickly. And here we find Jesus being criticized for befriending the lost. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. The context we found last week in this criticism is that the religious leaders considered it wrong and very inappropriate to to associate with the undesirable and the outcast. Tax collectors were considered the scum of the earth and collaborators with the hated Roman occupiers. And also they were thieves who under the guise of authority would rob people by taking more than what was required under the Roman law. A sinner is one who would, who they believe would violate is one who violates the moral law of God and the standards of the religious leaders. Of course, it was the religious leaders, the Pharisees, who set those standards. In other words, these religious leaders had a very hardened heart towards people that you and I today would call the lost, those who are outcasts, those that, uh, that were, were sinners like you and I. They suffered from the very problems, speaking of the religious leaders, they suffered from the very problems that we discovered last week of those who do not share their faith. And we had talked some time ago about why is it that people do not share their faith? You know, we have uh, flyers, just to give you uh, in the back again, uh, as you leave, you'll see that we have some tracks. I want you to grab them. They have our address on them and ways for them to contact us when you go out to lunch, go out to dinner, through drive-thru, just, just offer one of those. We also have on the back table also a little uh, a door hanger that you can hand put on a door hanger of a friend, a, a neighbor, or you can take and hand them to it. And on it has one of those codes that they can take a picture of, and it leads into our website and a video that, that we, had, uh, we had produced. So I would encourage you, take advantage of that. But the question is, why is it that we do not share our faith? And and I looked at two reasons some time ago. One is that we do not really treasure God, to be honest. We do not really treasure God above all things. We treasure our, our reputation, our friendships. We value things other than God. We don't believe that he is that pearl of great price. 
We don't believe that he is more valuable. We, he's not worth the ridicule or rejection or the canceling we may have. The others is we're just not, we're guilty of not loving others. We say that we love others, but to be honest, to not share with them the gospel demonstrates that we do not love others. And we've used the, the analogy, if you had the cure for cancer, the cure for AIDS, or some other deal, but, you know, something that was causing death, you, you would spare no expense and, and energy to share with someone how they can be cured from that. Because we care for others. We want to alleviate their suffering. However, many of us don't share the gospel or share our faith because we truly don't love them. That's what's going on here with the religious leaders. They neither treasure God or value God, and they do not love others. We're guilty of that ourselves. We need to be reminded that kingdom living requires that the Christ follower is to give away their faith. We give our faith away to fulfill God's purpose, to accomplish his purpose, that he may be made known throughout the world. Though our faith is personal, it is not meant to be private. We also gave some steps of how we can boldly share our faith over the, over the last few years, which included befriending those that need Christ, including those that are different from us. And also last week, we looked at the need for you and I, if we're going to share our faith, we need to uh, have compassion for them. We need to have courage to be able to confront. And we need to celebrate the fact that people are coming to know Christ. Now, last week we saw to answer his critics, Jesus is now sharing three parables to demonstrate God's desire to reconcile with sinners. So we need to understand that God has a desire to reconcile with sinners. That's what he calls us in Romans, that we are, we are giving the ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Christ, calling man to be reconciled with God. These parables show God how God will go to great lengths to reconcile a sinner to himself. The Bible tells us that God or Christ, God, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses. And so now we see that God is actively searching, finding, and caring for the lost. To be found meant to be to repent and follow Christ. That's when we know that someone has been found, when someone has been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light is when they are found, as God actively searches, finds, and cares for the lost. Going up here onto the monitor, just as a reminder for review, is that the first parable is about the lost sheep, which not only showed God's concern for the lost, he left the 99 and went for the one, but also his tender and protective care of those that belong to him. Remember, he, he picked up the, the, the sheep and put them on his shoulder and carried them back and then rejoiced with him. The second parable that we looked at last week is about the lost coin. And that was about a woman who lost a coin. She had ten, lost one. She still had nine. But she saw that it was worth about a day's age. And it demonstrated God's effort to find the lost. As she swept and went every, looking everywhere, all the hidden dark places, looking for that coin. Today, in the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at the third parable. One that you and I know as the prodigal son. And the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son, demonstrate God's wonderful grace and mercy that he freely offers 
to those that have rebelled against him. Look at that once again. It's about the prodigal son to demonstrate God's wonderful grace and mercy that he freely offers to those that have rebelled against him. What these three parables have in common is that there is something of value that is lost and then restored. The characters then respond with great joy and then invite others to celebrate with them. Again, as a matter of view, I want us to understand what a parable is because we're going to be spending some time now in the parables. Luke chapter 15 through 17 or so is, is rich with parables. In the monitor, you'll see that the first one, parables are simple stories with a single point. They consist of spiritual truths found in ordinary stories. In other words, an earthly story with heavenly meaning. One, something that somebody would understand and, and understand to follow. They can be a proverb or a profound story that calls for a response. That's important. The parables call for a response on the part of those that hear the parable. And the key to, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, I'm actually I'm in the wrong place. Well, uh, let's do the last one there. And the key to understanding the parable lies in discovering the original audience they were spoken. And then going to the second bullet point that I skipped is that they can be a proverb, profound, or obscure saying or an illustrative comparison. They were usually illustrations taken from everyday life that Jesus used to make a point. In this case, the hearers of the Proverbs, or of these parables, are the religious leaders who had hardened their heart against people. To them, people really didn't matter. What Jesus shows is that he is a friend of sinners. Jesus said that those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, he says, but the sinners. Paul also declares that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which he says, Paul says, I am of the chiefest, the utmost, the foremost. We should also be reminded that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were like sheep who were helpless and harassed without a shepherd. And his response to this was to tell his disciples that the harvest is plentiful. The laborers, though, are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So that's where you and I are at today. One former pastor wrote that the lost matter to God and should matter to us. And that's the question that we were kind of ending last week. Do the lost matter to you? And we're not just talking about people that you don't know. We're talking about your families. It could be your spouse. It could be a, a child, cousin, another family member, a grandparent, a granddaughter, grandson. These are the people that we say that we value, but do we truly value them and share with them the most important value that we have? We're also talking about the friends, people that you've gone to school with, people that you're in uh, you connect with people that you do life together with? Do you value them to the point that you share with them the most valuable thing that there is, the treasure of Christ? For this series, we're going to focus on the parable of the prodigal son. It consists of three characters. We're going to look at first the younger selfish son. Next week, we're going to look at the forgiving father. And then the following week, we're going to look at the older bitter brother. Today's emphasis on the younger, selfish son. So with that, take your Bibles, turn to Luke 15 if you're not already there. We're going to look at verse 11 through 16. It'll be here on the monitor, the opening verses here. 
But again, I always want to encourage you to bring your Bible. Let's read that silently together with me as I read out loud. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Verse 14, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him what? Anything. So, Father, with that, we thank you for this parable that has been preserved and translated for us today. We thank you for Luke and his determination to write an orderly account of your son's life and his ministry. It is here, it is good for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. So help us do now the work of taking this portion of scripture, knowing it very, very well, but rereading it with maybe newer, fresher eyes. We pray that your spirit would come and join with us, that we may interpret it correctly and then apply it and respond in a way that is glorifying to you. If there's any of us with a pharisaical attitude this morning about the lost, if there's any of us that do not treasure you, I pray that you'd expose that to us this morning, that we may repent and confess and turn towards you. Again, we thank you so much for this time. In your name, amen. Now, there's several things that uh, would be very shocking to the religious leaders as they listen to this story. So you can imagine Jesus sitting there and he's telling it and they're listening. And there's several things that's going to be very shocking in the story. The first one is that the son's insistence that he received his inheritance now. It's not that he's asking for an inheritance, but he wants the inheritance now. He says, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Under Jewish law, the younger son would only receive a third of the state. The older brother would receive two-thirds, and the younger brothers would then split off. It seems like there's two, so one gets one-third of it. And the other would get a double portion when his father died, similar to what you and I. We, we typically don't get our parents' belongings until they die, and they give us an inheritance. What this young man is doing here, as you and I look through this, is he's looking to sever the relationship between him and his father. In other words, what he is saying here is, Dad, you are better off. I am better off with you dead than with you alive. I want my money now. I can't wait for you to die. That's really what this young man is saying. And so the Pharisees listen to the religious leaders, and any of the Jewish people, by the way, would have been shocked to hear the attitude of this young man. But what is not only just, just this not being shocking, because I'm sure even in those days they had rebellious, selfish young sons and, and, and maybe even older sons who wanted something. But what is even more shocking as we look at this story is that the father graciously concedes to the son's request. 
Now to them, they couldn't believe it. Because what we see, it sees that we, he divided then his property between them. The father could give it before, but it was highly discouraged in society. It was his right to give it to his son, but that was something that was not very highly thought of. It would put himself at the mercy of his sons. Could you imagine here, for those of you who have younger children and, uh, and you take your retirement and all that stuff, and you say, you know what, I'm going to cash it all in and I'm going to give it to you and I'm not going to have anything left. And I'm just going to live on the goodness of my children. Now, sometimes we get ourselves in that bit as we get older. If we haven't saved, if we haven't been good with our money, we find ourselves. That's a, that's a scary place to put yourselves as you get older, as you're not able to make as much income. But this is what the, uh, this man is doing at this point. He divided it between them in verse 12, indicates that his fathers gave both of his sons their inheritance. This would be shocking to them. They would not believe that this man would put himself at such a disadvantage. This is something that was unheard of. But thirdly, we see that the son not only then takes the money, he actually goes through with it, but then he takes all that property, which was probably mainly, as we're thinking of it, in lands and animals, so on and so forth, those types of things, and he takes it and he sells it to someone else. He sells his property and he leaves his country. Not many days later, he doesn't wait. The younger son gathered all that he had, and he takes a journey into a far country. He sold his stake, but the sellers could not get it until when? His father died. He's still living there. It was a fire sale that it would have been bought at a lower price. It's not like he used it to good advantage. He just says, I don't care how much I'm going to get for it. I just want my money, and I want to run. The son was more interested in immediate gratification. Does that sound familiar? Immediate gratification. However, family names were, or land, excuse me, were not to be sold or transferred out of the family line. In Leviticus, we read that God commands, the land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. So he sold that, which is going to have to go back to the father when the young man died or when he came back. John MacArthur, who I'm indebted for this study, writes that everything about the demand the boy made cut against the grain of the Hebrew Jewish society's core values. They would be sitting there listening to this thinking, this younger man, he just needs to be beaten. To them, he might be stoned. This is a rebellious son. He's speaking against his father. Essentially, the young man is saying this, I want my freedom. I want my fulfillment, and I want my fun now. Sound familiar? He says, I want out of my family. I can't wait to get away from under his authority. I'm better off if my dad was dead. He didn't care about his family or its legacy. He doesn't care about the cost of his actions. The selfish son is guilty of breaking the fifth and the 10th commandment with the sins of dishonoring his parents and covetousness. And we can also throw in the first in that he was setting other gods before Yahweh. He was setting himself as God. I want to live life under my terms. I want to live life the way I want to live life. But what we see as we continue here 
is that his pursuit of pleasure comes to abrupt halt as we look at verse 13. Look at verse 13b. We see the man, he sells all that, he goes out to a far country, but we see that he takes all that his father gives him and he squanders his property in what? Reckless living. And when he had spent everything, we see that a severe famine now arises in that country and he begins to be in need. Now, eventually what we see is he gets what he wants. His father graciously sell or gives him all that he was going to give him. But what we see is that his personal choices, his cashing out, his leaving his family, his support structure, and then squandering away his money on just unrighteous living, we would probably most likely say. We see it as personal choices and then providence. Personal choices and providence. All of a sudden, God brings a famine in the land. Those two things leave him destitute. We find a man, as you would say, with not a dime in his pocket or two nickels to rub together. And remember, he's left his family. He's left the country. He's now a, a Jewish man living in a Gentile country far from his family. Now, you and I can understand that, right? I, I don't know how far, but, but if you're a young married couple like we were, or even, you know, our parents still are a great support system, right? Whether it's, hey, can, we, can you help us with this? Can you help us watch the kids? Or can you come over and help me do this at the house? And, and vice versa, all these things. So we, we have a built-in support system. And it's very, very difficult to, to move ourselves away. And I don't know if you've ever had that. That's a, that can be a scary thing to be all by yourself. But he has it. We always need to be careful of assuming that God will bless our personal choices. Providence always has a say. So as we come to the selfish son at the end of this passage, the selfish younger son now has no money. He has no family for support. He has no prospects as he's in a far country. There's, there's no one he can go to for help. And he's suffering in a distant land. And as we come to verse 15, we find that the man, all he can do is to find employment and find himself envious of dirty animals. He finds himself employment and envious of dirty animals. Look at verse 15. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, again emphasizing that he is not, who sent him in the fields to face pigs or to feed pigs. Now, what do we know about the Jewish people? Pigs were considered dirty. They were considered unclean. They were not to eat with eat them. They were not to bake them. They were not to make, can you imagine, no bacon. There's no pork. They don't, and they, they, they didn't raise them. They didn't sell them. They weren't to touch them. They were to have nothing to do. You would not go into a Jewish town and find a pig pen, right? You, you would not go into a house and see pigs lying around or someone offering you ham for lunch. They were unclean. But what we find is he's so destitute, he's so desperate that he takes a job feeding that which is unclean. But at this point, what does it matter? He has pretty much jetsoned his family. He has jetsoned his heritage. 
He maybe doesn't even consider himself Jewish. He, he cares not for the law at all. He had already demanded he get his money now. So for him, it's, it's probably not too much, but he finds himself feeding some of the things, the animals that one would consider unclean. That would not be a good job. I don't know about you, we, when, when we worked, uh, I won't say with the city, when we lived in one of the cities uh, that we ministered into, uh, our house was not too far from some pig farms. There was a lot of pig farms in that area. And I will tell you, when the wind started to blow a certain way, even though we were several miles apart, uh, you could smell that. I don't know if you guys remember that, but the smell of the pig farms was just something else. But not only is he doing that, he's, he's going in the fields to feed pigs. And look at verse 16. Not only is he feeding them the slop that a pig might eat, but he was longing to be fed with that food that the pigs eat. And no one gave him anything. Now, I'm a picky eater. Everyone knows that. And there are some things that I say I just won't eat. And sometimes I wonder, how much will I get? There was a point, I will say this, I will say this jokingly, that there was a point that I said, you know what? Maybe giving COVID wasn't too bad. And I promised Dawn, my wife, and my daughter, Emily, that if I get COVID and I lose my taste, I will try some guacamole. I will try some, uh, uh, what's the, the cream, sour cream. And I'll try this, I'll try that. My wife, I think, was praying for it because then we could have dinner a little bit better. But uh, it never happened, thank God. I, I have not yet. So I never lost that. But I would say, how bad would it get before I would eat guacamole? I'm telling you, you have to get bad. I mean, I still have struggle when it's on my plate and it touches my food. This past week, I went to a, a restaurant and I got one of those two-for-something meals. And I was looking forward to it. I love those sandwiches. But somehow there was some type of communication break between me and the guy. Because when I, get, I got to my office, you're packed it, I opened up the bag, and I could just tell, this, something's not right about this. Answer. I opened it up, and it was not what I was expecting. It was a different type of bun. I opened that bun, and there is just this cheddar cheese just, and they, you know, if I ask for, for like, hey, give me something with mustard and ketchup and, and pickles, you get like a dollop of each of this. But when it's something you don't like, man, they smeared on with all things. I think he hated me. He didn't value. But he had my money. He knows I'm not coming back to change it. So I'm sitting there, and I'm wiping that thing. I'm not saying, ah, I ate it. I ate part of it. I ate a little bit of it. I poured some stuff on it to try to kill the taste. But I was, what would it take me to eat that which I detest, which was gross, you know? A dog returns to his vomit. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't even imagine that kind of stuff. But he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. He's desperately, he desperately looks for food and employment. Finally, he finds work at a farm taking care of pigs which is very degrading and unlawful for a Jew. In Leviticus 11.7, we see that. God commands them. They are not to eat of that. Ironically, as the pigs he's taking care of actually have better food than he does. Could you imagine? So what does that mean as we think about it? I want to give you three things as we, we consider this. Is number one, you and I need to remember that this parable is not a fairy tale with princes and princesses. This is not a fairy tale with princes and princesses. John MacArthur writes that the parable of the prodigal son is not a fuzzy, feel-good message, but is a powerful wake-up call with a very earnest warning. Be careful what you ask for. 
What would life be if you got your deepest desire met? You know, we do that, right? Hey, if I won the lotto, what would I do? How many times have we read stories of people who had won the lotto and then wound up destitute years later? Lives ruined, relationships destroyed. We see this. I remember there's a story of a man who won a lotto and his wife killed him the next day. She wanted her inheritance right then and there. But we need to understand that. Is this story is not a fuzzy, good feel. There are some things in Scripture we need to say. There is life out there, and life can be difficult. So be careful what you ask for. You don't always get your heart's desire. I love those things. Follow your heart. You know, follow your dreams. Don't. Your heart is desperately wicked. You don't even know it. It's only God who can discern the motives and the tents of the heart. But that's our mantra, right? Follow your heart. Follow your feelings. Let it be led. Where has that gotten us? This young man is at the end of his rope. Number two, not only is it not a fairy tale, but number two, we, need, we don't always get. Getting what we want is always not desirable, which I'm sharing. We must understand that sin is a hard task master. When you and I give in to sin, it pays it, or it takes a heavy toll on our lives. One unknown writer has observed that sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. Many of you could probably give testimony to that if we were to have testimony time. Yes, sin has placed a high toll on my life. It has cost me a marriage. It has cost me a job. It has cost me my health. It has cost me the respect of my children. Sin is a heavy test master. Getting what you want is not always desirable. And then number three, one that we don't typically think of, is this parable demonstrates the pain of the father. We're going to look at the father a little bit more this next week, but just think of the father right now in this scenario. Could you imagine the heart of the father? His emotions as he's sitting down with his son demanding his inheritance? One who is essentially saying to your dad, you're better off dead to me. It's not like the son is going to take the money and then invest him and just say, hey, I want to work my part of the land now. Can I get a heavy start or an early start? So I just wish you were dead. He took his money and ran. He sells that which his father gives him. The pain of the father. We don't typically think of that in this story. MacArthur writes that the father voluntarily suffered what is arguably the most painful personal agony of all, the grief of tender love rejected. I'm so thankful that I haven't experienced that. Maybe some of you have. Pray that you never do. The grief of tender love rejected. But you and I, here's the thing I need us to understand. As you and I are reading this, many times we put ourselves and say, I can't believe the younger son. I can't believe the foolishness of the father of giving in to his son. Now, if you're doing that, that's the Pharisee. That's the religious leaders. That's the people that Jesus was talking. They were putting themselves as judgments. They were making judgments. They were, they were looking at that saying, this cannot be. You and I need to be careful not to be too harsh with this selfish son. 
Because like this father, so was our heavenly father treated. You see, you and I have treated God the same way. This story is very similar to our first parents, Adam and Eve. Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to see this isn't the first time this has happened in Scripture. It happened to Yahweh. It happened to God, the sovereign God, the providential God, the creator of all things. The ultimate power of the universe has suffered the very same thing. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 6, we see after God had created all things, Verse 6, we see that the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. God gave man, Adam, life itself. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, very near where they could get to it. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And there it divided and became four rivers. And the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work and keep it. If we were to continue on, we see that God is not done because then he gives Adam a wife, a helpmeet, so they may be fruitful and may be able to multiply the earth. Everything, as you and I uh, read this, everything was beautiful and good. I don't know where the most beautiful place you've ever been, but it would not even compare to that which God hand-fashioned for man. God provided everything that Adam and Eve needed to live and to thrive. He gave them one command. Do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. However, as we see in chapter 3, verse 5, that Satan came to tempt them to rebel against their father. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Just like the selfish son, they too, Adam and Eve, wanted to be in charge. They saw their father and said, you know, it'd be better off, we would be better off if he was dead or that we would be God and I could be the father. We're all familiar with the ending of the story. As Adam and Eve, our first parents, rebelled and fell into sin, leading us all into inherited guilt, into the curse of sin that affects each and everything in our lives. But again, before we judge our first parents and the selfish son too, too, too harshly, for you and I say, well, if it was my choice, I wouldn't be like that. I can imagine the religious leaders listen to the parable. Well, I wouldn't do that. If I was a young son, I wouldn't do that to my dad. If I, if I was the father, I would not let my son do that to me. Let us remember that we too are self-seeking, selfish, ungrateful. Again, take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 3. For scripture now describes all of humanity as if we too are Adam and Eve. And as if we too are that selfish youngest son pursuing pleasure at all costs. Romans chapter 3, we want to read Paul's letter to the church of Rome. We're going to start at verse 10. Romans chapter 3. Paul here is writing to the church of Rome, trying to encourage them. He's laying out God's plan of redemption. And in there he's saying, it is written... None is righteous, no, not one. 
No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. What does that mean? It means that we are all sinners. We have all turned against our Father. He goes on to say their their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. So when you read read the parable of the younger son, read out loud and hear your own voice as if you truly are that prodigal son who we are, or we at least were. Their feet, he says, are swift to shed blood, and their past are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. And you may underline this verse, next phrase, I should say. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This describes us to a T. We are like the prodigal son in that we enjoy the gifts, but we do not enjoy the giver. Let me share with you that a little. I want to explain that. Once again, you and I enjoy the gifts of God, the garden of Eden, the providence of God, the goodness of God, all the things that God has given that is good, but we truly don't enjoy the giver. Just like many of us, we enjoy our spouses when they give us what we want, but we truly don't enjoy them. We just enjoy what they give us. May that be the same thing with our children or vice versa, children and parents. We enjoy the gifts, but we don't enjoy or value or treasure the giver. We live our lives as if our father is dead. We believe that we are better off without God. We are unsatisfied with his sovereignty. We are unsatisfied with his providence. And we are unsatisfied with his commands. If he would just leave us alone, let me just go and live my life. Give me what I deserve and let me go and use it as I deem fit. We are born at our core. We are born ungrateful and selfish. We too are guilty of pursuing pleasure rather than holiness and godliness. Scripture describes all of humanity as sheep who have gone astray with minds that are set on the flesh of of self-gratification and our minds are hostile to God and that in our very being does not submit to God's law and we're constantly doing evil deeds. The Apostle Paul menaces no words when he writes in Ephesians 2, And you who were dead in trespasses and sin, and once you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We are all guilty. None of us escape us. We are all the prodigal son, demanding things now 
so that we may pursue our own things. And like the prodigal son, we find ourselves destitute. Paul tells us that one day there will be a day of reckoning. Our personal choices and providence itself will one day come head to head and there will be a day of reckoning. You see this here on the monitor in Romans chapter 2. It says that God will render to each one according to his work. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But look, for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. And if you can keep that up there. So let me ask, which one of those describes you today? Which one describes the family that you love, the friends that you hang out with, your neighbors, and others in your sphere of influence. Our personal choices and providence will one day come to a day of reckoning. And we will either find ourselves destitute with no one to help us, or we will find ourselves enriched by Christ who came to rescue and save us. Amen? I pray that that's the latter for you. Fortunately, the story doesn't end there. We will spend the next two weeks examining the peril to understand the heart of God towards the lost, the undesirables, and the outcast. But suffice to say that you and I are this prodigal son. We're selfish, and our pursuit was for selfish gain, for pleasure. However, the Bible also tells us that many of us once we're prodigal sons, but now we're something even greater. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? It doesn't matter what this prodigal son inherited from his father. He will not inherit the kingdom of God. He finds himself a citizen in a, in a far country without any help, without any inheritance. He spent it. It's gone. He is not owed anything, and there is no one there that can help him. It says, do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, and leave it here just for a moment, Ben, will inherit the kingdom of God. The seeking of pleasure, those are the things in which we seek pleasure. It says you will be left destitute. It will not satisfy. It will fade away. There will be a day of reckoning. But he goes on if you continue, Ben. But he says, and such were some of you. You see, some of us were once prodigal sons who were destitute without anyone to help us. But he says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and by the Spirit of our God. And so what we see is that we see that even though at one time we were prodigal sons, we know that now we are not. So the question as we continue through this parable is how do we get from that destitute with no place to help, how did we get to being some of you now? How did we get to the point that we were sanctified? That's what we're going to look at next week. And before we go on, I want to encourage you, where are you today? Are you still that prodigal son? Are you still searching for pleasure? I pray that you're not. Are you in rebellion against the Father? 
then I pray, come to him. See that the path you are leads on, that you are on leads to destruction. If you were once in rebellion, but now restored, don't you want to warn your family, your friends, your coworkers and neighbors about going down that same path of destructions? Many of us are friends and related to prodigal sons and daughters. They need the help. They're destitute. They're seeking for things to satisfy that will not satisfy. Lastly, is your heart like the religious leaders? Have you hardened your heart towards those that need the gospel? As listening to the story, do you take up the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes? Do you take the attitude as they get what they deserve? their own personal choices. Well, God did it to them. Let us not harden our hearts towards people like that. If so, we need to repent and commit to sharing this message of reconciliation for there are prodigal sons and daughters in our midst. They're destitute with no one to help them. Next week, we're going to get into the, the father. And we're going to see how he brings us into his own as he brings the prodigal son. I encourage you to read that passage next week. Concentrate on it. Meditate on it. Pray on it. Ask that God may continue just to inform our hearts and minds that we may love him more and love others. I'm going to ask that every head bowed and every head closed as Randy comes up in the worship team. I want us to just take a moment to pause and consider this story of the prodigal son. To consider, am I a prodigal son? Am I destitute? Am I left without help? If you are, would you pray and come to the Father? I want to share with you, God loves you. God has made a way. If you're here this morning, you're not a prodigal son, but yet times you feel like you're wandering. You feel like you're leaving the reservation, so to speak. You find yourself drifting away from the things of God. Would you come back? Would you confess that sin, that wandering heart, repent, turn back and follow him? Then would you pray for God just to continue through the Holy Spirit to work in your heart, that you may respond appropriately to what God is calling us to do. For either we were prodigal sons, we are prodigal sons, if we have family or friends that are prodigal sons, we need to value God above all other things, so that we may win them to Christ. Randy, would you come up and close us in prayer? We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help share the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.